Permitless carry is not the problem. Yet it, there are an unlimited number of people who still want to make the case that the state of Indiana engaging co- uh, constitutional carry, you don't need a permit to carry a firearm, is the problem. It's not. Questions about the shooting that we saw at the Greenwood Park Mall, which of course made national news. Three people were murdered. What role did permitless carry play? That's not even close to the story. Because it didn't play. What causes somebody to want to fire their weapon into a crowd of people at a food court that they don't know? That's the problem. That continues to be the problem. And that conversation that so many elected officials, so many people are afraid to have. We had this conversation yesterday about abortion. Democracy, our republic, is messy. It's messy, and that's the way it was devised. And it requires us to honestly discuss things, even if they are messy, even if they are uncomfortable, and come to decisions. And then sometimes we revisit those decisions. The people who oppose the overturning of Roe v. Wade don't believe you get to have a say in the decision-making process. I believe those people are wrong. And they certainly don't believe in the Constitution. But if you don't accept the fact, uh, if, if you accept the fact that they're wrong and the decision should be overturned, you then have to accept the fact that you're going to have to make a decision about abortion and it's going to be an ugly conversation. The Second Amendment is not our problem. The right to keep and bear arms should not be infringed is not the issue. It's not what's causing the violence that we see. It is clearly societal cultural breakdown. Something in the society that isn't working or something that's been removed from the society that isn't working. Second Amendment has been with us for over 200 years. It isn't the Second Amendment. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. If you want to disagree with me, I'm all ears. Let's see what you got. Let's see if you have the ability to show that the Second Amendment is the issue. But I had this conversation on, uh, on News Nation last night with Leland Vitter. I wanted to share some of it with you because it was two parts. And, and the first was about how journalists, uh, we saw it right here uh, in, in, in my beloved Indianapolis, and you see it in other places, uh, they, they go about changing uh, the, the focus from here's this guy who showed up, this 20-year-old who showed up uh, to do damage. Here was this 22-year-old who was armed who saved the day. I mean, that's the story. We heard it yesterday. We had the update uh, from, from Chief Jim Ison. I-S-O-N is how you spell the last name. There's no question that the guy is a hero. This 22-year-old, no military training, no police training, uh, advanced on the shooter with his firearm? As the chief said, proficient in the use of his firearm? Man, buy a gun, buy ammo, and get trained. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we saw people say, you know, that's a gun-free zone. Why did this guy have a firearm to begin with? As if that's the problem. 
And I got asked this question and a couple other questions. I wanted to share it with you. The question coming from a host, Leland Vittert. You, you've got this other thing true, which is that the Dickens is a real hero here. Why and how did we get to the place, and more importantly, how do we get away from the place where the media organizations of America that control so much of our information aren't willing to admit that these two things can be true and cover what both happens, equally? What happens when ideology becomes your religion? If guns are always bad, how could there possibly be a situation where the gun is good? How can it possibly be that somebody, a good guy with a gun, can do good things? Now, I have made the statement on air, and I've made the statement uh, afterwards, that three people were murdered in this. This is an absolutely horrible story. If it wasn't for this man, that number is 23, and it could be into the hundreds, as you discussed. How could you deny that the issue, therefore, is not a firearm issue, and the Second Amendment is not the issue, but rather what is leading people to these causes? And on the flip side of that is people who realize they need to protect and defend themselves. But if your ideology is your religion, if you have to believe it in every way, you must discount everything else in order for your religious identity to be true. And that's the horror coming out of J schools. And that is what people see as a great political divide in the country. There's no question the divide works. Uh, we expect it out of politicians. You expect better uh, out of journalists. We said that we didn't think that the, the president was either going to go to Indianapolis or, or invite Dick into the White House. Uh, we'll see if our prophecy uh, comes true. You mentioned Uvalde, though, and, and this is so troubling. 400 police officers, breakdowns literally from the first shot until the end when it was actually Border Patrol agents defying the orders uh, of the on-scene commander to go in and take on the gunman. That's what we learned from this report from the Texas uh, State House that came out. Uh, this would be the question. If 400 police officers allow this to go on for 77 minutes, despite billions of dollars in training, all the school safety measures that exist in Uvalde, on and on and on and on, how do parents send their kids to school in September and go, oh, they're safe wherever they are in America? I think two things, because, A, you still want to send your kids uh, to school, although maybe an education change is, is necessary. You have to start by firing people. You can't accept the idea that, well, there was a breakdown and, oh, well, we'll do it better next time. People have to lose their jobs. And I argue, while I'm a fan of police, that police officers in this situation have to lose their pensions. There has to be such a strong response that every officer across the country has to know that this is how we handle it. And I think what added insult to injury here, to, to use a, a horrible phrase, and I don't mean to be flip or glib, is that parents were prevented from going in. As I've said on air, you're not going to prevent parents from going in the next time. They're going to do what they have to to protect their kids. They're going to do it. Police here don't, I, I don't think, understand the level of cascading effect of the unbelievably unacceptable actions in Uvalde. I brought this up on News Nation now to engage a conversation that, that, that clearly Leland had not considered and he mentioned a, a, as much. That it is obvious that permitless carry isn't our issue. Our issue is whether or not we are putting ourselves in a position to protect and defend ourselves and the ones we love. Because people coming to shoot up a school has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. It has to do with something else. It has to do with a structural breakdown. The way that this shooting at Greenwood Park uh, Mall connects 
to Uvalde is that it proves that if you engage a shooter, they are not able to kill others. They have to deal with the person shooting at them. They have to deal with the person who's coming at them. You distract them. You move their focus. Lives get saved. Which is, And I keep getting, uh, I mean, I, just, I don't know if it's from a lot of people. It's from the same person. I just can't keep track of the email addresses. Uh, Tony, you don't understand about police. You're all wrong. I'm not all wrong. And honestly, uh, I, 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 there's nothing I can do. We're going to disagree on this one. Fire the cops and take their pensions. That's the answer. The answer at Greenwood Park Mall is get rid of gun-free zones, which I'll get into. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into uh, the, the religion of, of the anti-gun zealot, those people who are graduates of journalism school, those people who are, are all about our media. There's a, there's a story. Uh, did I share this yesterday? No, there's no way I shared it yesterday. Katie Turr, who's with MSNBC, noting this Gallup poll. And this Gallup poll is a discussion of how um, how people are viewing the media. No, I did discuss it yesterday. The Gallup poll shows that there's absolutely no faith in media at all. And she's wondering, you know, maybe, maybe um, uh, I'm, I'm hurting people. Maybe what I'm doing is, is that uh, it, it's, it's, it's me who's who's hurting people in in the way I'm doing things. Listen to this. There was just a Gallup poll out today that shows that the trust in in media and newspapers and television is hitting an all-time low. People don't trust us. They don't believe us. And it makes me wonder if this job, as I'm currently doing it, is effective uh, but if it's doing more harm than good. You're a journalist. What effective is your job supposed to have? The point being made here is that the journalist these days doesn't see their job as journalist objective. They see their job as activist. Only an activist journalist or only a journalist who sees themselves as an activist or only an activist who decides that they're a journalist takes a look at what happened at Greenwood Park Mall and says, well, why did this person have a gun there when it was a gun-free zone? The issue is with the man who decided to protect his girlfriend and happened to save countless lives? When I refer to the fact uh, that uh, these these people view uh, being anti-Second Amendment as religion, uh, I'm not joking, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. But if you believe your job is to move agenda as opposed to report story, why would anybody trust you? They're not buying the agenda, and you keep throwing it in their face. Reality is what matters here. And the reality is parents are not going to wait for police to do their job if their kids are in a school with a shooter. They're going in. Cops don't know this? Cops are going to tell me that I'm going to endanger people's lives because I'm supporting this? I'm not supporting. I am stating a fact. Police stations, I should, police stations, police chiefs and police groups all over the country should be decrying what happened in Uvalde and saying that we will not allow that to happen. We're going to engage because Greenwood Park Mall proves what happens when you engage. You have a chance.
And you can only engage if you can match force for force. How many more ways do you need to see this reality punching you in the face? You need to match the force. You need to engage the violent doer so they stop committing violence on those people. 400 cops in Uvalde and no one enters the room? No one enters the classroom? Fire the cops and take their pensions. And if someone disagrees with me, I sleep fine. What am I supposed to tell you? There isn't another option here. You had overwhelming force. You had the ballistic backup. You had everything. You couldn't find a key. The door was unlocked. You liar. I have now heard that the chief there, Chief Pete Arredondo, has been placed on administrative leave. Placed in a jail cell might be better off. But hey, I'll let Texas figure out its legal situation. You think the issue in the state of Indiana is, well, uh, this guy didn't have a carry permit. You don't need a carry permit. You don't need a carry permit to be a decent person. You don't need a carry permit to engage not only your constitutional rights, but the rights of nature and nature's law. And anybody who argues otherwise, well, that's the person I want to hear from. What argument could you possibly make? Well, not having a carry permit makes a police officer's job more difficult. First, that's not my problem. Second, permits, the idea of licensure from the state is a, a roadblock into someone being able to engage their Second Amendment rights. And not a single person was better off or would have been better off because the guy, uh, the, the, the guy who saved lives in the Greenwood Park Mall, uh, Dickon is his last name, Hadn't gotten a permit. You're, you're, you're not better off. You're better off that he was clearly prepared for this moment. You should be about training and supporting training. And we should be bringing training to middle schools and to high schools. And we should be teaching kids about firearms and the importance of firearms and how to be safe with firearms and how to properly store firearms and how to properly shoot. And we should be cheering them in this learning. We need to change the whole view, part of the conversation that has to be had. We have to say no to gun-free zones because they get people killed. We have to say yes to teaching kids how to utilize firearms, yes to getting adults trained to use firearms, recognizing we're never going to get rid of all the firearms. We have to start being honest about our situation. And while we're at it, what's causing a 20-year-old to go to a food court and kill people? What's happened? What can we fix to help fix these kids? They're adults, but you know what I mean. What can we do? How do we do it? And when do we start? The free society requires us to answer these questions to ensure the maximum amount of freedom. The conversations that elected officials are so damn well afraid to have all over cities and states and everybody in the nation. We have to do it because we are the ones who realize that the Second Amendment is utilized for good. Being able to protect and defend oneself is a good thing. And those who are ideological refuse to see reality. So they have to be dismissed.
Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Markets are up over 500. NASDAQ up over 250. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. I'm, I'm happy to see it. Uh, how, how could you not want it? I want to see the the economy do better. It's just it's not it's not playing that way. The market doesn't represent real life. Real life is inflation and recession. Gas down fifty percent. That's great. And not fifty percent, fifty cents a gallon. That's that's terrific. Fifty percent. We'd 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 be like, oh oh, these are gas prices again. That's right. I forgot what these look like. Fifty percent would be a dream. I tell you. And then there's this, man, GM is not kidding. They're going to go all electric. The 2024 Blazer is now an electric vehicle with a starting price between $45,000 and $66,000. I don't know if, if, if you've seen it, uh, the, the new Chevy Blazer, but let me say uh, it is not a Chevy Blazer. It's a Ford Explorer with a Chevy logo. The Blazer is the K5, baby. It's got a top where you can just rip the top off and you just keep driving. You drive over, you know, roads or trees or small continents, you know, whatever you need to do. The Blazers, it's just this badass kind of truck thing from the 70s. This. If, if, if you're a soccer mom and you're like, ooh, I love the Chevy Blazer. It's not a Chevy Blazer. Come on, GM. Give us a truck. Give us a truck that says, damn, that's a truck. I don't know about you. Every SUV looks exactly the same. Every single one. And now it's going to be electric. So it can compete against the Ford Mustang Mach-E. I think it's the E-Mach. And the Tesla Model Y crossover. Dear Lord. I honestly... I. Bitch and Camaro. That's what I need. That's what I, I got to start looking right now. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Ooh, an Oldsmobile. Toys R Us is coming back. They're going to open up shops inside Macy's which I find very strange because that would mean that people are shopping retail like a lot of people are just itching to get to Macy's Tony Katz Tony Katz today uh, the the strength of the Toys R Us brand when that brand went out people really did freak out uh, I, I don't think they recognized exactly how strong of a brand uh, it, it was you know Jeffrey the giraffe and and and, and all that jazz so they are going to put toys r us stores between a thousand and ten thousand square feet inside of macy's in 400 locations um i think it's kind of kind of fascinating that there's this there's this attachment there are actually 900 Toys R Us stores around the world. 
I guess in this pop-up kind of way. People, is is there something, right? I, I, I can't imagine there's still something to the retail experience for people buying clothes because so many people buy their clothes online. Although I'm somebody who, who likes to go into a shop. Like, I have never purchased a suit online. I I got to try it on. I got to see it. I got I got to go to my guy. I got to go go to go, I have to go to Mina's menswear menswear. I have to go to Anthony Mina and be like, "All right, what do we think here? What do we what do we do it? I got to check the sleeve. I got to do it all. I got to do every last bit of it." And I think that there's something experiential uh, about that. I, I if you have if you have boys, the the first time they get, they get a suit, Man, I don't know about you. That's a total dad activity. We got this, Mom. We're good. That is a men activity from beginning to end. Getting a suit, all men. Sorry, sorry. Sexist, fine with that. Take that to the bank. Now, that, that, for me, it might be different for somebody else. Dad's not in the picture. I get it. But I, I I couldn't do it online. I'd, I'd have to. It, it's got to be that experience. Are toys the same way? Is there something about a kid in a toy store that experientially you 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 want a throwback to Christmas past or something like that? Because otherwise, I don't get it. I don't get why why there's this this attachment. Because it isn't about well, retail sales is really where it's at. Like there's an extra like impulse sale? No, there has to be a connection that's made. Kid in front of toys screaming, losing their mind, you buy the toy. Or for the parent, there has to be a connection that that experience is just so great. They want the experience and it makes the purchasing worthwhile. Just a, just a theory. I don't know which one it is, but I assume it fits somewhere in, in, in one of those spaces. If, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm I'm all ears. If you got another theory, I am all about it. Meanwhile, Kamala Harris. <laughs> showing you once again why sh- nobody wants her to be president of the United States and why as vice president, she is, uh, what's the word I'm looking Incompetent. That's it. That's it. This was Kamala Harris just the other day. I swear to you, I have not altered this audio in any way, shape, or form. We have not touched it. We have not done anything with it. This is Kamala Harris. Uh, If you're driving hands-on 10 and 2, if you're operating heavy machinery, be safe. Here we go. Ah, you see, it would have been right if I had started right. Let's try that again. Here we go. You know, I asked my team to, to you know, I, remember Venn diagrams, those three circles, right? And then let's just see where they overlap. So I asked my team, I said, you know, do a Venn diagram on two circles for me, um, and, and in particular.
What? Maybe this is why people leave her staff all the time. She's giggling and she's smiling. Is it a nervous thing? It's the weirdest thing in the world. It's a Venn diagram. It's three circles. Draw me two circles and do this. There's no sentence structure. There's no cohesive thought. Why would you even think of listening to her? How could you begin to make claim that she could run the country? She can't. There's nothing that she can do. This isn't just, you know, a a, a little hiccup. This is who she is. We have to stop graduating in competence and in capability. And we certainly can't have anybody in office who talks like this. We will not, and the president has been clear, we will not let the filibuster stand in our way of our most essential rights and freedoms. So leaders of the NAACP, together we have accomplished much, but we still have much to do. Anybody who wants to get rid of the filibuster is an unserious person and will live to regret it. It was Mitch McConnell who explained to Harry Reid, when you get rid of the filibuster on Supreme Court nominees, you will regret this. And they did. And they did. When they get rid of the filibuster, as they keep pushing for, and Republicans get power, holy cow, are they going to be singing a different tune? When Republicans have power in the Senate, can you imagine what they're going to be all about? How they're going to have their conversations. Well, Republicans can't do this. Well, Republicans can't do that. How dare Republicans think they can... You got rid of the filibuster. Now it's just the wild, wild west. Now you want to see an abuse of the minority? Here you go. You did it, Democrats. You were warned. You were begged not to. You didn't pay any attention. You didn't care. All right. Now you suffer. Now you suffer. And I I personally don't mind if, if they suffer, but I would rather not get rid of the filibuster. But if they get rid of it, I am not interested in being the party that says, well, we'll we'll reinstate it because that's the right thing to do. No, they have to feel pain. That is a terrible way to run a country, by the way. But only through pain do people learn. And Democrats would have to learn that this is what you wanted. Does it feel good? No? Then stop wanting things like this, you radical, radical, dangerous people. You want to eliminate the ability of the minority to stand up for itself. That's crazy. That is dangerous. But... All right, if this is what you want. I mean, if this is really what you want, this is what you will get. I hope they don't get it. I hope the filibuster stays 
where it is. But never mind the insanity of Kamala Harris. What do we do about a guy like Joe Biden, who right now is very angry at his own party because they don't understand how great he is? I've got that story coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. The Biden team is hopping mad. I mean, flat out angry. They're angry, of course, that Joe Biden is telling you he's going to run for re-election, and yet the political left is like, yeah, maybe not. And he's like, no, no, serious, uh, I'm, I'm going to run. You know, you, you, you want me? Uh, maybe, 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 maybe we'll look around the corner. And then they see Kamala waving, they're like, oh, this is not going to go well. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, what's going on, everybody? Biden is upset about this stuff. Well, Jill Biden, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dr. Jill Biden, it's so so necessary to say it uh, properly and give it its due, right? Dr. Jill Biden. She's upset that her husband's presidency is very unpopular. They, they, she can't understand why people don't understand what a good job uh, that that he's doing. And he, and she said, and I'm quoting, he's just had so many things thrown his way. Who would ever thought about what happened with the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade? Well, maybe we saw it coming, but still we didn't believe it. He had so many things or has so many things thrown his way. What president doesn't? He ran for president knowing there was a pandemic. What What did he not know? He's just had so many things thrown his way. Who would have ever thought about what happened with Roe v. Wade? Well, maybe we saw it coming, but we still didn't believe it. Now, Dana Perino noted something in this, saying that she's basically saying that the presidency is kind of over and there's no hope because as she saw it, as Dana Perino saw it, former White House press secretary under uh, George W. Bush, Biden's talking about Things uh, Joe Biden's talking about things in a past tense. Lamenting that Joe had, you know, Joe Biden saying Joe had so many hopes and plans for the things he wanted to do. But the, you know, the domestic crises, international crises, it just, you know, stopped his agenda. Biden seeing that the writing is on the wall and there will only be one term, I would consider to be uh, very, very valuable for him. I don't believe he sees that. This is this is why um, he keeps pushing this idea that, of course, they're going to vote for me. I don't think it, I don't think that it's a, a recognition. I really don't. I don't think it's it's a recognition at all of of his unpopularity. His, his lack of being loved. I don't think he sees that. 
But when Joe Biden is there talking about, oh, so many hopes and dreams, but, you know, the job got in the way. The job got in the way of being universally adored. Why aren't I like more like Michelle Obama? Why? Because Joe Biden isn't the politician that Barack Obama was. And remember, Barack Obama, awful politically. Awful politically. Although he is famous for the line, never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to screw something up. That's pretty terrific. The stories of Joe Biden being angry that he was never really invited uh, to to the West Wing, you know, except to make some uh, funny videos. I look at him now, you know all that's totally true. But lamenting, we had so many plans. If it wasn't for, you know, the world just spinning. That's, that's special. I have no place in my soul for people who don't understand that the job is tough and it will always be tough and there will always be things. There will always be things. You don't know it? You're not aware of that? That's messed up. And you're always blaming others. Well, it's one crisis after another, and the president can't work on his agenda. Your agenda is radically partisan and splits the country. No one actually wants it. And then you complain that the Republicans are blocking your agenda. They disagree with you. Why not work on something you can agree with? Why not convince them? Republicans are going to have to do the same. You're not going to get Chuck Schumer to agree with you on anything. So you got to convince. You got to either convince or you got to be able to apply proper pressure. Or you're going to engage some horse trading and make a deal. You do this and we'll do that and be and we're all done and good. That's the system. But no, that's it. To listen to the Bidens say, you know, everything would have been great if it weren't for those meddling kids. This is not an episode of Scooby-Doo. That's exactly the way they portray it. Everything would be fine if just everybody else would stop doing things. Then we'd be loved. And that's all she wants. She wants to be loved. It's the, the desperation to be seen as smart. I mean, it's... It is something else. Biden knows he's one term. And I stare at the Democratic hopefuls. And I note that Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom are both trying to raise money right now. If Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom are the best Democratic Party has, a woman who has proven herself completely incompetent or a white man... I'm sorry, it's the Democratic Party. That isn't going to work. So now you have to look at Elizabeth Warren and Stacey Abrams. I have no idea who else they can even begin to think about. I mean, it's the Democratic Party. They can go in some pretty ugly directions. But if we're going to clearly, honestly, name recognition, ability to raise dollars based on their wokeness and the boxes they need to check... Elizabeth Warren and Stacey Abrams. Who else is on the list? I'm not saying who else might run, but really? Who are the Democrats looking at?
Let's say it again. There's no way it's Gavin Newsom. There's no way. They are not going to be a party that nominates a white man. There's just no way. You tell me. Keep it here, guys. This is Tony Katz today.